Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Well, today is the uh, third week of our series that we have been in called What Faith Looks Like, uh, where we've been using Hebrews chapter 11 as our guide to make our way through the stories from the Old Testament that are highlighted as, as examples, as portraits of what it looks like to put our faith or our trust or our allegiance uh, in God and in God alone. And if you read Hebrews chapter 11 as a whole, what you find is that the author of Hebrews spends a whole lot of time uh, focused in on the early chapters of the book of Genesis. Uh, This list in Hebrews 11 begins by saying that it is by faith uh, that that we believe that God created the universe. None of us were there at creation, so we put our faith in what Scripture says. We trust in the fact that the world where we live was created intentionally by a good and loving God. It's not a result of, of random chance. Hebrews continues and talks about Abel, who we looked at the first week of this series, and says that it is by faith that Abel offered God his best, and he was vindicated by God for that reason. The story is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 4. In verse 5, he mentions Enoch, who is mentioned briefly in Genesis 5 and won't get a full sermon in this series, even though he might deserve it. We're told it is by faith that Enoch walked with God and was commended as someone who pleased God, so that he did not experience death, but was taken by God into his presence. And last week, Rick showed us the story of Noah, built the ark by faith in order to save his family, and boldly proclaimed his trust in God against the tides of the world around him in his day. And Hebrews 11 gives us a lot of positive examples. People believing in God, people doing God commanded them to do and experiencing his vindication. But if we were to step back to Hebrews chapter 11 and were to come to just the early chapters of Genesis and read them on their own, we will find those positive examples that Hebrews 11 mentions, but we'll also find a lot of negative examples as well. We're told about creation in Genesis 1 and 2. God creating, not because he needed anything from us, not because he felt like he was missing something, had a void, and so he created humanity for us to fill it for him, but because of the abundance of the perfect relationship the triune God had enjoyed for all eternity. God creates a perfect world, teeming with life and joy and abundance, and creates humanity to enjoy that same sort of love that God has enjoyed with amongst himself for all eternity. Everything is perfect. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we're told about the fall, where Adam and Eve reject perfect relationship with God in the garden to go their own way. And as a result of that, they, they experience the fracturing of creation. They experience a broken relationship with God, which leads to broken relationships with one another, a broken relationship with creation itself. Hebrews tells us the positive examples and Enoch and Noah, but those positive examples of faith come against a dark backdrop. Humanity spiraling further and further downward as they walk away from God, and all of that, of that wandering away from God reaches a sort of climax in Genesis chapter 11 with the story of the Tower of Babel, where humanity reaches for its own glory, decides to settle in one place and 
going out over all the earth like God had commanded. Humanity decided to make a name for itself instead of bringing glory to God as it had been created to do. And as a result of that, God uses their language. The result that humanity is scattered across all the earth. The book of Genesis begins, chapters 1 and 2, with perfection and blessing. God creating so humanity can share in a blessed life with God. But what we find time and time again over the course of these first 11 chapters is, in, is humanity rejecting blessed life with God to go their own way. The result being sin and brokenness and curse. If we were to read along in the book of Genesis for the first time, we might be reading all of these stories piled on top of another and wonder what God was going to do about it all. Humanity falls so far short of what God had created them for. And even after the flood that set everything right, things don't get any better. We might wonder if the story of Scripture might just be God wiping things clean and starting over time and time again, wondering if maybe this time humanity will get its head screwed on straight and everything will work like it was intended to function or maybe we might wonder if God would just give up altogether and say, well, we tried, but humanity's, a, humanity's kind of a wreck, so I guess, I guess we'll just go back to enjoying perfect relationship in heaven for all eternity. And one of those two options might be the ways that we would go about it if we were in that position. But as we turn the page from Genesis 11 to Genesis 12, we don't find God doing any of these things. Instead, we find God calling and blessing. After so many stories of people walking away from God and experiencing curse as a result, Genesis 12 tells us of God calling one man to him and promising him that if he puts his faith, his trust, his allegiance in God alone, the result would not be curse, but would be blessing. Blessing for him, for his descendants, and, and by extension from his descendants out the entire world. We see how God begins this process in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 9. The text says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they'd accumulated, and the people they'd acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Over the first 11 chapters of Genesis, humanity has failed time and time again. There's been little to no redeeming quality, no evidence that they're eventually going to figure it out, no self-help book that they've written that is going to get them back on track. And in the midst of that reality, God comes to Abram. Now, now obviously, 
read Scripture before, you know how the story ends. Uh, you know that, that, that the rest of Scripture as a whole really is tied up in God's covenant relationship with Abram and his descendants. But when we first meet Abram here, there's no evidence in the text that there's really anything to set Abram apart from anyone else. There's no indication he has a sort of relationship or dealings with God prior to this event. God reveals himself to Abram out of grace. God makes the first move to Abram as he always does. And as he makes the first move, he brings a command and a promise. Go to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. Now that on its own sounds like a pretty good deal. Uh, there in verse 4, it says Abram is 75, and he does not have any children at this point. So the, the idea of not only having uh, children, but that the descendants of Abram will become a great nation is a little surprising and exciting. But the promise doesn't stop there. God says, I will make your name great. You will be a blessing to others. I will bless anyone who blesses you and curse anyone who stands against you. And ultimately, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. That's what God puts on the table before Abram. And yet, as amazing, as incredible as those blessings sound, notice there's no tangible evidence of this sort of blessing at this point. There's no down payment from God that accompanies what he says in these verses that are a first installment that he'll make good on later. There's simply a promise. It might be understandable if we were in that position of, of Abram to want some kind of evidence, some sort of demonstration that God is able to deliver on the promises he is making, that he's not like one of those phone calls you get that promise that all your problems will go away if they, you just give them your social security and credit card numbers. As we read the text, we don't find Abram bargaining or negotiating, anything like that. We find faith. There in verse 4, Abram went as the Lord had told him. Packs up everything he owns, and he starts moving without a clear destination. All he's been told is there in verse 1 of our text, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. And that's not much, but it's enough. Enough to trust and to act upon that trust. And as Abram moves, God steadily reveals more and more about what he's doing. As he gets into the land of Canaan, God appears to him there in verse 7, promising him that to your offspring I will give this land. That's a bold promise. It's not like this land's deserted, that no one wants it, so God might as well give it to Abram and his family. There in verse 6, it says that the Canaanites are in the land, but this is the promise of God, and Abram puts his trust in that. But notice still, even after this promise, there's nothing, there's no God giving him a deed to a small patch of ground to know that God will be faithful. There's nothing like that. There is simply a promise. And Abram responds to that promise by building altars. Verse 7, after God appears to him, he builds an altar to the Lord who had appeared to them, to him. And then there in verse 8, after he moves to a new location, he settles down, he pitches his tent, he builds an altar and calls on the name of the Lord. In light of the promise of God, Abram builds altars. At this point in the story, there's no fruit of the promise of God. No demonstration God will be faithful. There is simply 
a promise, and in response to that promise, Abram trusts in God and expresses that trust through building altars. Altars as a, as a place of worship, as a claim on the territory that this is a place that belongs to God alone. Altars as a proclamation that God will deliver on the promises he has made, and for that reason he is worthy of praise in the present. And right there is a glimpse into what faith looks like. Faith builds altars. Faith believes that God will deliver on the promises he has made and acts in light of that future promise in the present. Faith believes that God can be trusted and will deliver on the promises he has made. And that trust brings the freedom to act in light of the promises of God that are to come in the here and now. God does not lay out the entire plan of the rest of world history to Abram in these verses. And he could have. He could have walked him through centuries of world history and explained to him how, how he was going to make a, a nation out of his descendants, how that nation was going to be called Israel. And, and, and then centuries down the line, there, Abram, there's going to be one of your descendants who is going to come, and he is going to be the one who's going to set all things right. They're going to call him the Messiah, and he's going to make all things new. He's going to deal with these curses of sin and death that have been plaguing humanity ever since Adam and Eve sinned. And then because of that, all the nations of the world will be set free to have a relationship with God like they were created to have. God could have done all of that, and he doesn't. But all that is there in miniature as God first reveals himself to Abram. But even if it isn't fully fleshed out, Abram doesn't wait to hear more of the plan. He responds in faith. He hears enough to know God can be trusted, and that faith causes him to move, to take the next step as God continues to slowly reveal more and more about himself and about his plans to Abram and his family. And as he does that along the way, Abram builds altars as a proclamation that even if he can't see the whole story yet in the present, he has seen enough to know that God can be trusted and will not fail. So as the author of Hebrews writes to people who are tired, people who are wondering if God can be trusted, people who have received that initial promise of life with God through his son Jesus, but have not yet seen the full reward of placing their faith in Jesus, they're called back to the story of Abram, whose name's later changed to Abraham. Now, Abraham is obviously not a flawless person. He makes plenty of mistakes. He makes mistakes even in the back half of Genesis chapter 12 right after the passage we've looked at this morning. But despite his flaws, Abraham trusts in the promises of God. Even if it does not come to complete fruition in his own physical lifetime. And it's from that example that Hebrews refers to this story, to the life of Abraham, to call God's people to follow that same pattern of trusting God and following him where he leads, knowing that God is always faithful to his promises. So let's look at what Hebrews, how Hebrews summarizes this story. Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 10. It says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. 
I don't want to repeat myself too much from what I've already said about Genesis 12, but I do want to highlight the things that Hebrews seems to find significant about the story of Abraham. I think we can summarize that with three words that pop up in these verses, and those words are going, trusting, and looking. That's what we see Abraham do as he follows the call of God, and it's the example the readers of Hebrews are called to emulate, and it's one that we can follow as well. So first, Abraham goes. That might be overly simplistic to state, but at the most basic level, God tells Abraham to go, and he does. As Hebrews says, Abraham was not given a complete picture of where God was leading or what the fulfillment of his promises would look like, but when he was called, he went. Faith looks like going when God calls us to go. And that doesn't mean that when God says jump, we ask how high. It is a statement about what it means to know the goodness of God and trust in his guidance when he calls us. Faith does not hesitate when God leads, not because we're cowering in fear of him and afraid of stepping out of line at all, but because faith knows that even when God does not give us his complete plan, when he calls us, everything else we know about him tells us that we can trust in him wherever he leads. And that sort of faith is one that can only be cultivated with experience as we walk with God. It is a faith that I have seen so many people who are listening to my voice right now model as they have walked with God. And it is my hope that we would learn from stories that we find in Scripture and stories from those around us so that we could all continue to grow in a deeper and deeper relationship with our God. Like a parent standing in a pool calling a child to jump to them so that they can catch them. God is a good father who will not lead us astray. Faith goes when God calls because of our confidence that no matter where God leads us, he will go with us. And and we see Abraham do that as he goes. And as he goes, Abraham trusts. There in verse 9, it says, Abraham lived in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. And it was not just him, but his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob, through whom God continued his covenant that he had originally established with Abraham. Abraham uprooted his life, left everything he had ever known behind, and went to a place that he did not know. And that's emphasized, if we look at Genesis 12, it's emphasized by the words of God to Abraham. God says, leave your country, leave the place where you live. He says, leave your people, people with the same ethnicity, the same background, as you people, you've lived around your entire life, and he says, leave your father's household, your most intimate relationships, the people you were expected to stay and care for, the land that was supposed to be passed down to you, and go. Go to a place you don't know. Go to a place where you've never been, and trust in what God is saying. Abraham gives up, every, Abraham gives up everything he has ever known to live in a strange land in a tent. It's not a perfect parallel, but if you can imagine with me for, uh, for a little bit, it, imagine that tomorrow morning, uh, Isaac and I got here to the church, and we discovered someone camping out here on the far end of, the, of our church property, um, which as an aside, at some point last summer, some kids in our youth group decided we needed to call this property Moo Moo Meadows because the cows were out there, and I don't remember who came up with that, but I love it, so that's, I'm just proclaiming that's what we're calling the, the property out there now. So anyway, imagine Isaac and I got up, and we got here to the church, and, uh, and there's someone camping out there. And we go out there and, and ask them what's going on and who they are, why they're camping on the church property. And they tell us that, uh, that actually they had, um, 
that they had traveled all the way here from Toronto. They traveled all the way here, and they were going to camp out on our church property because they had been told by God that one day God was going to give all of southeast Minnesota to them. Now, we might, have, we might let them stay out there for a little while uh, because, you know, Isaac and I are nice enough if he catches us on the right day. But <laughs> we're probably not going to have some questions about why they've traveled this far, what their deal is, why they're camping here, why they think God is speaking to them, what is going on. In, in, in their brain, in their lives that, that has led them to make this decision and this action. And that, like I said, is not a perfect parallel, but it is on par with the trade-off Abram makes in this passage in light of what God reveals. And that's the sort of trust Abraham has in God. And that faith continues from Abraham into the generations after him, which we'll look at over the next few weeks. It's a faith that trusts that God will deliver on his promises, even though those promises were not completely fulfilled in the lifetimes of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. And just because God does not fulfill his promises quickly does not mean he does not fulfill them. As we walk in faith with God today, we can trust in God in the same way. Even if our prayers are not answered on the timeline that we would like, that does not mean God is not listening. It does not mean that God is not faithful. It means that God sees the full picture and we do not. And even if we don't see that He is at work, we can know that He is working in ways we may never know this side of heaven in order to accomplish His purposes. And as He does that, we can have faith in Him to know that He is good and will bring his promises to fulfillment in his perfect timing. And that is why we can follow the example of Abraham in in Scripture and trust in God. If you have a person you love and you wish they would come closer to Jesus and you have been praying for them for some time and aren't seeing any movement, if you're dealing with a difficult situation yourself right now and wish it would be resolved and you've been praying and praying, and nothing is happening, my encouragement to you is to not give up. I'm not going to stand up here and proclaim to you that it will absolutely be fulfilled in the timing you want and, on, and in the way that you want, but I can proclaim that God is good and that he is near to you and to those around you. So keep trusting in him. Keep pursuing his call wherever he leads. And as we see Abraham do just that, Hebrews 11.10 tells us that he looks forward. Abraham's faith is motivated by so much more than what he can see right in front of him. He was looking forward to not only when God would give him the land he had promised, but would bring him to that city that was built by God. And that is the end goal of our faith. All of the talk this morning about trusting in God, walking with Him, waiting to fulfill His purposes is not a call that if you just have enough faith, then God will give you whatever you want. It's not, it's not saying that you just need to pray a little more, do a little more, come to church a little more, then all your problems will go away. Faith in God invites us into a far grander perspective. Faith looks like trusting that God has more in store for us than we can see or know or might even see or know at any point in this life. 
We do not just trust in God so that we can have what we want in this life on our terms, how we want it. We put our faith in God because He has invited us into life with Him, and He calls us to trust in Him in the present so that we can experience that life for ourselves that extends into eternity but begins now. And sometimes that might look like God answering our prayers and doing things exactly how we ask or expect. Sometimes that looks like God doing the opposite of what we wanted because the thing that we wanted was not good for us. Sometimes that looks like God doing what we think is the right thing, just not in the way that we want because He is God and we're not. And His goal for us is not to deliver us into exactly what we want always, but to deliver us into relationship with Him so that we might grow into all we were created to be in that city built for us by our God. That is what it looks like to live looking forward, trusting in God's lead wherever that takes us. Abraham trusted God, even when he did not have the entire picture, even when it meant leaving everything he had ever known behind and uprooting his entire family, and yet he had the glimpse of something better, Something God had promised and trusted that God would be faithful to those promises. And in the meantime, as he waited to see those promises fulfilled, living in the land God had promised but was not yet his own, he built altars. He built altars as a foretaste of something better. He built altars to proclaim that even though he could not see the entire picture, one day God would fulfill what he had promised. And because of what he would do in the future, he was worthy of praise in the present. The culmination of Abraham's faith did not come for centuries, but the promises of God did come true. Abraham's faith was rewarded even though it was not fully rewarded in his own life, as the promises that God would bless the entire world through Abraham's descendants was one day fulfilled. To that one son of Abraham, Jesus, who came to redeem all things through giving himself on the cross so that all the nations of the world, us included, might be blessed through relationship with God. And in that, Abraham is our example. May we trust in the same God who calls us to trust in him, even when we might not know where he leads, even when we don't have the whole picture, because the God who was faithful to Abraham is faithful to us and calls us to look forward to life with him in the same way he called Abraham. And as we live in the meantime, having received the promises of God but not having seen them come to complete fulfillment yet, may we be people who build altars. Maybe not literally, but may we be people who declare that God is worthy of praise in the present because of what he has promised to do in the future. May we be people who proclaim here and now that God is faithful. And even if we can't see the picture fully right now, he will one day deliver us into life with him. May we be people who encourage one another to continue walking and trusting with our God because we have seen his faithfulness time and time again and know that one day that faithfulness will be made complete at the end of time when God makes all things new. In the meantime, as we look forward to that day, we build altars. Maybe you need to make some sort of physical reminder this week. I don't know what it would look like for you, but as some sort of thing you can look at and touch and see and as a proclamation that God is faithful in the present as you look forward to what he will do in the future. 
Maybe it doesn't need to be a physical thing for you. Maybe it just needs to be a truth that you remind yourself of regularly over the next few days to, to always bring to mind that God's goodness and faithfulness is with us now and we can trust in Him where, as we follow wherever He leads. Maybe there is a next step in faith that you need to take even this morning where God is leading but you're unsure of what that looks like but you feel God calling you even if you can't see the whole picture currently, if that is you this morning, have confidence that you can take that next step because God will be faithful to us as we put our trust in Him. Through all the highs and lows of life, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we brought in here with us this morning or what is waiting for us when we go out, may we be a people who build altars as we put our faith in the God who has promised to bless us in His Son. Let's pray. God, you are good to us. When we have walked away from you, when as the early chapters of Genesis show us we were deserving of nothing but curse, you sent your Son so that we might be blessed instead. And when we had rejected you, you made it possible for us to be accepted in Christ. And you have done that for us in the past. You have promised that you will come in the future and make all things new. And as we live in this meantime between those two moments, Father, Give us faith. May we be people who walk by faith. May we be people who learn from those who have gone before us. Despite their imperfections and their failures, may we look to their faith in the one who is faithful and follow that same pattern. Help us to trust in you wherever we are. Help us to build altars. To remind ourselves, to remind one another that you are worthy of praise, that you can be trusted here and now because of what you have done and because of what you will do in the future. Draw us in here. Help us be people who walk by faith wherever you lead. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French. 